Welcome to Amidon Planet. I'm your host, Joel Amidon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to learn how to teach better. Today on episode 95 of the podcast, we are talking about counseling youth. Specifically, we are talking to the authors of the new book, Counseling Youth, Systemic Issues and Interventions by Rick Balkin, Amanda Winburn, Erica Schmidt, and Samantha Marie Mendoza. You know what? It's always awesome to talk to an author of a book, even better to talk to all four co-authors of a book, and specifically with this book about counseling youth. I mean, I think uh, over the uh, previous 94 episodes of the podcast, we've talked a lot about mental health and the importance of that and learning how to teach better. And so this is kind of a cool book. Uh, Well, this is a cool book because of the different perspectives that all these different authors are bringing to this idea of counseling youth and thinking about it from a systemic perspective. And then also thinking about how the role of teachers, now however you define teachers here at Amazon Planet, we think of teachers as anyone that's attempting to influence a relationship with content with anyone. So that could be parents, uh, pastors, uh, you know, professional teachers, uh, professors, whatever. I mean, anyone that's it's doing, <laughs> and as I keep talking about it with other folks, I think there's, it's hard to think of a role that where someone isn't a teacher, but then specifically think about this idea of counseling youth, like people have a role in these systems. And I learned a lot about that from this conversation. So want to jump into it, um, especially given the uh, range of, range of um, expertise and, that each of these uh, co-authors is bringing to this book. So, but first a disclaimer before we jump into this conversation, as always, just know that we will not be able to communicate the whole value of this book that we're talking about. And even if we did, it would be from our perspective, which is legit, but hey, it's just from our perspective. So in other words, if you like what you hear, get the book for yourself. Right now, the, the book can be purchased on bookshop.org, which is a website committed to helping local independent bookstores thrive in the age of e-commerce. Uh, a link to bookshop.org can be found in the show notes of this episode, which can be at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 95 where your purchase will not only support local booksellers, but also the production costs of Amazon Planet. Uh, you know what? Also, too, you can wander down to your local bookseller uh, in Oxford, Mississippi. That's like Square Books. And you can pick up a copy, and if they don't have it, you can always ask them to order it. I think they're always happy to do that. Without any further delay, here is my conversation with Rick Balkin, Amanda Winburn, Erica Schmidt, and Samantha Marie Mendoza on their new book, Counseling Youth, Systemic Issues and Interventions. Amanda, Erica, and Samantha, welcome to Amazon Planet. And uh, Rick, welcome back to Amazon Planet. How are you, Rick? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Hey, uh, just a quick reminder. Can you tell the the listeners uh, just a little bit about who you are and where you're located, and a little bit, a little bit of a little bit of bio, Rick? Sure, sure. So uh, my name is Rick Balkin. I'm at the University of Mississippi. Uh, I'm the department chair and a professor here in the leadership and council education program in my specialty area is counseling, uh, as well as research methods and statistics. Uh, I have a background in counseling youth. Uh, that's really where I got my initial start in counseling, uh, both in the school counseling field and then working on an adolescent unit in a psychiatric hospital and then doing outpatient counseling. Um, and uh, I have other areas of research, too, but today we're here to talk about counseling youth. That's right. That's right. And uh, and people remember uh, you were on previous episode talking about your book, uh, Practicing Forgiveness. That's correct. That's correct. Awesome. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you today, Joel? Amanda, could, good. I'm doing well. Uh, could you offer a little background, too, on yourself? Sure. So I'm uh, currently an associate professor here at the University of Mississippi in the Department of Leadership and Counselor Education. 
Um, before I came here um, to the university setting, I was a um, high school counselor, and before that, middle school counselor, and before that, I was in a middle school classroom, and uh, before I came to K-12, I actually worked in social services as a child protective caseworker, so I've worked with kids for a long time in a, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, awesome. Hi, Erica. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Doing well. Erica, could you give a, a little bit of background? Sure. Um, I'm a current associate professor here at the University of Mississippi in the Department of Leadership and Counselor Education. I actually just moved here last year, and so I'm finishing up my first year here. And prior to that, I spent seven years uh, in Texas at Texas A&M University Commerce in their counseling department. Um, in my clinical work, I worked mostly with adolescents and adults struggling with mental health. I've uh, worked in a variety of different settings, but um, I worked in inpatient settings with individuals who were experiencing suicidal ideations and attempts, and that really led to my interest in this whole notion of how do we impact people who are in a really, really low uh, point in their life. And so my focus right now is suicide and mental health and teaching those um, aspects of health throughout the lifespan to our students and also researching those areas with youth and adults. Thank you. Samantha, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. Awesome. Could you offer a little bit of background on yourself? Sure. I am currently an assistant professor at the University of the Southwest. Uh, they're based out of New Mexico. Prior to that, I spent a few years teaching at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. And I also maintain a full-time uh, federal position. So I work very closely with uh, immigrant youth. Um, and refugee, you know, children um, that ha are, sorry, seeking asylum. Yeah. Here in the States. Awesome. Awesome. So we're here to talk about your book. And again, before we uh, hit record, we talked about the the Dream Team author group to to make this book come together. So it's Counseling Youth Systemic Issues and Interventions. And so I guess a little bit of background and whoever wants to take the lead on this, Ken, how did this book come to be? What was the goal in writing it? Yeah. Um, actually, I've been thinking about this book for well over a decade. Um, and it, it really came to be back in the uh, early to late 90s when I was working in a, an adolescent unit in a psychiatric hospital. And the difficulty in creating and communicating with juvenile courts, with child protective services with schools. You know, I, I'd be at the hospital and I'd have a kid who was clearly having some educational difficulties. And I would ask, have you ever had any testing? Um, I'd ask that to the parents. Has, has your child ever been tested at the school? Um, and they'd say, well, you know, I don't know, or maybe, or I think so. And, you know, of course, you can't just call up the school and say, we're, we're, we're needing this information. Um, or if we would do testing um, to get the consent to release information, there was this deficit in our ability to communicate with all these systems that are impacting youth. And you know, sometimes we're doing the same thing. Sometimes we're doing very different things. Sometimes we're trying to avoid repetition um, and how hard that is. Um, so that's when I started to, to think about this book. And 
I got into academe and and uh, this is my 21st year uh, in academe and when we started working on this book it, it was really of you know I've been thinking about this book for decades and I still haven't written it and a lot has changed and I I'm not working with the schools anymore. I haven't worked in a psychiatric hospital for a while. Um, I have these experiences, but I need updates and a modern team to do it. And especially with what we know now about uh, refugee youth and uh, and, and work and, and having worked at uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi and seeing up close what some of the issues were on the border and how hot of a topic this was like, wow, you know, wouldn't it be great to be able to highlight that topic as well? Because there's no books that I'm familiar with uh, about counseling youth that hit on that and talk about this, this system of juvenile justice and child protective services and schools and outpatient care and inpatient care and how it all comes together. Um, we're often talking about development and and problems, but we don't talk about the systems that we actually work in as counselors. Nice. Well, and then again, and I'll, I'll actually, I'll put that on, like, sounds like the all the different backgrounds and experiences that you all have mentioned like like now you can i guess now i'm seeing like the pieces that people are putting into place for this to be a book uh that kind of answers a lot of questions i don't know anyone else want to answer that question about like uh uh maybe a little different perspective on how the book came to be or, or goals in writing the book or being a part of this team i'll just add that um you know what made me interested in the book i I think this was a great opportunity to serve my field in a different way. I hadn't authored uh, a textbook before, which can be really scary. And when Rick pitched the book to me, um, of course, there was a lot of apprehension there. But I really, you know, what I appreciated about his overall intention behind the book was to provide more information about systemic issues and how those affect children growing up in our uh, society. And so... I think the book really turned out the way that we wanted it to be. And, you know, Rick saw a gap and we attempted to fill that gap with a culmination of our experience, like you said. Yeah. Sometimes our, ahead, our field, yeah. Sometimes our field becomes very specialized. We have school counselors and we have clinical mental health counselors and we have vocational career counselors. And here was an opportunity to put a book for out there for professional counseling. Mm. And, uh, and, 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 you know, and take it to a multidisciplinary approach, you know, because education is such an important piece of the youth experience. Yeah. The amount of, you, 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 know, you know, kids in schools. I mean, if you're going to th th think about what we do with schools, it's not just about learning. If you're going to get screened right. for scoliosis, that's going to happen in the schools. If you're going to get screened for vision and hearing, that's what's going to happen. It's going to happen in the schools. If you're going to get breakfast in the morning, it's going to happen in the schools. The schools are so tied to public health uh, now, and 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 it goes so much so much further beyond um, what what the traditional educational experience is often the focus of. We're so much bigger than that, and we have to use all these services within the community 
and, and work with the schools for kids to be successful. Yeah, it seemed like, and also too, just looking at the, you know, some of the abstracts from the beginning of the book, you know, talking about um, what was unique about this book and that it focus, doesn't focus on a singular model, which again, maybe is that like the, the, the norm for the court? Like, Hey, I've got this model. It's awesome. And you, you all should be aware of it and y'all should use it. Don't worry about anything else. This is it versus like, no, no, like as a, as practitioners, or as professional counselors, as you're saying, Rick, like, Hey, here's things you need to be aware of, you know, if you're going to offer the best services for the the people that you're counseling. I don't know. Is that a sound about right? Amanda, Samantha did. What do you think about that? It does. Um, I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's actually something that I really appreciate about the book. And it's, it covers topics that maybe wouldn't come to mind for everybody, or even I think just including the entire system. So when we look at parents, teachers, instructors, right, this can apply to so many, basically anyone that cares about children or works with adolescents. These, some of these topics that we cover in the book, so sex and sexuality, bullying, social media and its impact, um, addictions, right? These are all things that those of us that either have children or have children in our lives that we care about, you don't always necessarily want to think about these topics affecting adolescents or our youth, but they do. I think it's very real and I think it's important that we address these issues. I think this book is a great reflection of um, our training and our experience. You know, when we go through our training programs, um, it is very singular and it is very specialized. But then you get out into the real world and you realize that, um, you know, we're just a small component um, treating these children, working with these children, walking alongside these children and their families. And there are a lot of different components and a lot of different systems that are feeding in um, to these children's experiences and everyday lives. And so having a better understanding of those systems, how they impact um, our children and our communities, I mean, that's, that's very uh, functional and essential to us being um, impactful with these kids and their families. So I, I forwarded some questions and uh, this next question doesn't really questions. It's a statement. It's like, uh, cause chapter two says, uh, uh, what is it? Defining or what is normal? I what just is said, normal? what is normal? So let's, let's talk about normal. Uh, yeah. Cause I think that's, I don't know. I'm coming from my perspective of, uh, I don't know, white middle-class male from, you know, Wisconsin and not a lot of conversations were had about all these t the topics that you're mentioning here. It was almost like, you know, life will teach you or something like that. And it took me a long time to access counseling for myself, <laughs> like, like actually accessing, accessing the system, but then thinking about like having kids and like wanting them to have the best experiences possible. But then even thinking about, well, how do we define, well, what is normal, right? Well, what is normal? So like, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I had a lot of fun writing that chapter. Uh, it, it's one of my favorite chapters in the in, in the book um, because normal is really hard to define, but we are, have a really easy time recognizing what's not normal. Uh, an example I give is if uh, a young child is at church or synagogue and they're crying and they're crying loud, a lot of 
churches or synagogues might have a cry room. And it's totally okay to take your kid to the cry room if they're having a fit. That is that is just fine. All right. But if your kid's having a fit in the grocery store, mm-hmm. well, then we might now we're getting looks, you know, and, and very often the, the, the looks are either one of empathy. Oh, I've been there. You know, your kid's having a meltdown. I'm so sorry. Or it's looks of judgment of, oh, if that were my child, I would never allow that. Right. You know, and then we have the same behavior, the same outburst happen in a movie theater. And absolutely not. You cannot have that happen in a movie theater. You better take your child out because now you are ruining the experience for everyone and nobody is tolerating it. Um, and so, you know, what's normal is often in viewed in, in, in the context of where it's occurred. It can be the same behavior, a child crying. But in church, it's okay. In the grocery store, eh, we've all been there. But in a movie theater, oh, no, 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 no. You can't have that. So we have to figure out or realize that 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 normal is a lot about context and it's a lot about impairment. And it's much easier to define what's not normal than what is. I attempted to go through the most common models that educators and mental health professionals come into contact with in terms of normal development. And if you look at things like you know, people like Piaget, you look at people like Kohlberg, mm-hmm. uh, you look at uh, uh, you know adolescent development. They, they all have you know, you know Freud, Erickson. They all have stages. They're all hierarchical, yep. and you know, and, and we learn about these. But there was a lesser known uh, theorist that I thought was absolutely fascinating, and his uh, name is Havighurst. And he talked about developmental tasks. And a lot of people haven't heard of developmental tasks, but this has been around since the 70s. And it's this idea of at each age and stage, you have things that you try to accomplish. And sometimes we have late bloomers. You know, sometimes we have people who we think, you know, you know, you might have a child and your child's in high school, but you're still waking your child up. To go to get ready for school each morning, you know, and the thoughts probably creep into your mind of, you know, it won't be too long that my kids in college. What will they do if they still need me to get them up in the morning? You know, you're you're reaching this point in time where you're thinking to yourself, I'm probably self-disclosing too much, but you're thinking <laughs> to yourself, <laughs> you, know, you know, gee, you know, why am I enabling this behavior? Why am I, you know, still waking my my kid up in the morning? You know, so um, developmentally, they should be doing this on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think taking a look at, you know, in, in terms of what we view as normal, wh- where do we expect kids to be? You know, um, which, and again, it's very easy. We can look at a, a, a kid in, in first or second grade and go, wow, they still don't know their numbers and letters. You know, that's a task that they should know by now. You know, they should be able to write their name, you know. And so we do this all the time. But it is really hard 
to to measure and get a grasp and 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 it's hard to recognize what's what's normal it's much easier to recognize what's not normal well and you get some of the context you're talking about too i mean even just thinking about uh the immigrant and refugee youth like there's probably some contextual information right that goes into some of those things or contextual or cultural or you know other things as well uh looking at again across all the chapters as well but the idea of normal and i hadn't you know was in a room uh you know we we're talking about setting norms and that ended up being a, a conversation a lot longer conversation than i thought but it's just one of those like I hadn't thought about it. It was like a sensitivity switch that got flicked on. Like, what do we, I mean, think about all the assumptions that we're putting into, well, what is normal? And like you're saying, Rick, like it's happening all the time where you're, you know, you're making um, judgments or qualifications or, or, or whatnot. I don't know this idea well, of normal. Yeah. Keep going. Think, think about a kid who, 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 who doesn't get breakfast, you know, in the morning and they come to school hungry and they're irritable and they're agitated, and we're thinking, we're looking at this behavior going, what's wrong with this kid? This is not normal. This kid is hungry, and the behaviors that the kid is exhibiting is absolutely normal Yeah. in the context. You know, um, you know, so I think we have to be very careful when we start talking about something as not normal because, you know, kids who are traumatized, kids who are going through extreme grief, you know, and they come to class and they're depressed. Well, given the context of what's going on, that's very normal. Well, Erica, you talked about like meeting kids and sometimes or in some of the lowest part of their lives. And so like this idea, this idea of like being relative almost to like the that person might be like, well, this behavior is is fairly normal for how I'm coping with things versus someone on the other side, like, well compared to my experience, that's not the case. Like, so I don't know, what are, what are your feelings about this idea about normal? Yeah, I, I exactly agree with you. Um, when I think about normal, I don't really see it as there being this true definition of what normal is. I think it really depends on so many factors or our culture, our demographic factors, our personal experience, even our genetics. And so all of these things that make us human really make up our environment. And so, you know, I think when I think of normal in the traditional sense, it's about conforming, maybe conforming to what society's views of normal is and you know I ask myself that a lot is that a good thing and so you know just like Rick said I think normal is all about context and normal for each person is going to be different feels like an empathy muscle that we need to keep exercising as well anyone have other thoughts on normal Well, I did want to, so like in quotations, I, I put, well, what is a systemic approach to working with youth? And so it seemed like, you know, Rick, you're talking about the original kind of impetus for writing the book and all these different systems coming together. So what is a systemic approach to working with youth? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's our ability to recognize and be active in working with the various systems that that youth encounter 
um, in our work. And so, uh, you know, if, if if you're a teacher, you know, and, and you you know you're, you're working with counselors, but you know, isn't it interesting that if you're a teacher and you have a student who has tested, you know, who's, who's received testing, you know, you want to be informed of that testing. Now, if that testing happens in the school, that's one thing. But what about when that ha testing happens outside of the school? You know, how, how is that communicated? What mm -hmm. about when a, when, 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 when a kid is in child protective services? A school might not even know. Yeah. Um, I've talked a lot about that. Um, let me let, let some of my team members. Uh... Well, Samantha, what do, I mean, again, you're, you're talking more. Um, what do you see of that as a systemic approach to working with youth? How do you how do you take on well, that I, idea? I agree with what Rick uh, has shared, but I think it's important for counselors to to be willing to put their ego aside. Mm. And, and I mentioned that in a way like there are other disciplines involved in the systemic approach, right? I think appreciating the information that comes from social services, right? Community partners, teachers in the school system, the school counselor, right? So you could be a play therapist or a professional counselor, counselor working with youth outside of the school system, but you would still want to involve information from all of those parties. So I think in that sense, um, you know, for some, I think it is as simple as that, just being being willing to know that you don't hold all of the answers and other disciplines could could weigh in in a really meaningful and beneficial way. Nice. Amanda, how about you? What do you how do you think about that idea of a, the systemic approach? Well, you know, I think, you know, when I've thought back to the kids that I've worked with in various ways over the years, it's typically not one thing or one event that has brought them to my doorstep. And so it's not going to be one solution or one intervention that's going to get them off my doorstep. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there, it's usually a, a various impacts, various uh, influences, various experiences. And so it, it's going to take um, a a team approach a lot of times to working with these kids to get them to a better place. And, and I really think that we have to think about, about that. And if, and if we are so just pinpointed on what we can do or what we can address, we're really just missing the big picture with these kids. And we're just putting a bandaid over one small scratch of what might be this, um, you know, this, this huge injury or this much larger injury. And so Seeing ourselves as a part of a larger system, seeing our work as part of a larger system, and, um, you know, we're stronger together. And so I think that that's how we have to think about this. How can we combine our work, our efforts with others to fully support this child, this adolescent, moving and getting to a better, healthier place? Um, whether that's academically, whether that's socially, whether that's uh, emotionally, um, maybe it's all of the above. Most of the time, it's all of the above. And so seeing our work in that larger picture, in that larger context, developing relationships with other professionals, teaming together um, and working to that's how I see it. And that's really 
I, in my view, that's really how we have to approach our work. It, it's, it's not just singular. Um, how can we go in and collaborate and consult and combine our efforts to get these kids to a better place? Erica, I'm hearing the same kind of message, a little bit, you know, obviously, same similar sort of message, but like the idea of pushing, well, I liked what Samantha said, pushing the ego to the side, but then also being part of a team, like Amanda said. And like, even then going back to the, the idea of the book where, hey, this isn't just, this is the you're going to use this model or this approach, or this is, you know, I've got this shiny hammer and I'm looking for nails that I know I can hit with this hammer versus having like the idea of like, I, we need, the goal is to help this, this child, right. Help, help this young person uh, get to a place where they can function better on a daily basis. But like, how do you see, like, how do you see that? Uh, is that kind of your feeling too, with this regard to kind of having to push that ego to the side and being able to think like, how do I, how do I fit as a counselor into this system to better help this student? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, there's, (laughs) there's not one answer. This isn't a one size fits all situation. Humans are complex. Therefore counseling is complex. Teaching is complex. Working with youth is complex. And so, you know, um, what I going back to what I really have enjoyed about this book is that focus on the systems and on society as a whole, because many times we think of mental health as this just being this personal issue an us versus them sort of view. And you have to go back to, we live in a community with one another. So it's impossible not to view health in a systemic way. And I think many times we do a disservice and we fail others when we don't view it from a systemic approach, you know, in a sense, we're sort of failing our youth that way. And I think our text really does a good job of bridging that gap between speaking from a personal perspective, but also from a systemic perspective. I wonder, like, I'm just trying to put some thinking about this from my perspective, like if I don't know, I'm, I'm was a high school math teacher. If I didn't know how best to do something, I was more than willing to go down the hall and ask like, Hey, how did you do this? Thing? You know, how do I, you know, better approach this lesson? Like I've been doing this, like, what, what am I doing wrong? And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh, I'll get some feedback and whatnot. But like, you know, it's, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but like, if I have uh, either, you know, a student who, um, you know, I, I'm having difficulty with, you know, behavior management, or if I'm a parent and man, I can't, my student, my kid always seems down. Like I can't do anything to get them. Like there's all these sorts of things where I'm not, I might not necessarily go for help because it seems like, well, I can't handle it myself. Right. And like, there's like this almost pride sort of thing that gets in the way. And again, I guess it goes back to this message about pushing ego aside and saying like, Hey, this, you're a part of a team and, and maybe it's, how do we, how do we get those that, you know, I'm thinking from teachers, those that teach seeing themselves as part of that team as well. I don't know, like, did you, any insights on that as like, how do we, you know, kind of adjust that maybe it's a mindset, uh, on, on that. Let me give a concrete example. Um, as, as educators and mental health, uh, counselors uh, and school counselors as, 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 as mental health professionals um, and, and educators, we are mandated reporters. Mm. And it's not out of the question that we will at some point in time in our career have to have to make a report 
yeah. uh, to Child Protective Services. And so what happens there? Now all of a sudden you're working with a caseworker, right? And there's going to be an investigator. And you're going to be interviewed. Perhaps you might be asked to testify. Right. So now you're in um, the justice system. You may be talking to police officers. Mm -hmm. You may be talking to attorneys. Um, you may be talking to caseworkers and social workers and mental health counselors, your school counselor, your administrator might be involved as well. A whole plethora of resources, support, um, and services has just entered the sphere based on this this report that was yeah. made. Um, and you know, I think understanding as as educators and mental health professionals, you know, we're thrown into this system. We are part of this very, very large system that serves youth. And um, it's not difficult to conceive how, how we enter into this multidisciplinary team and and play a role in it. Yeah, that so that makes me think of not just losing egos uh, with one specific person or field, it's losing egos between field. You know, um, when you have youth, there are all sorts of helping professions that they may come into contact with. Um, like imagine if you're a family and you're in poverty and there are all these barriers to receiving any sort of treatment. And for me, one of the biggest barriers is the lack of collaboration between fields. And so how do we get to a place where we have good continuity of care between the medical field and social workers and counselors and teachers and school counselors and all of the people that really touch that, um, that youth life? And I think a large part of this is advocacy as well. And I think one thing that we kind of bring out in the book is, as well is that sometimes not all of these systems impact the student positively. And there are systems that are built that sometimes end up having a negative impact on our youth and adolescents. And so how do we step in and then become an advocate for this child with this other system? And I think that's really important to note as well. So chapters uh, five through 10 uh, discuss very you know specific issues. Samantha kind of listed through them earlier that young people can face uh, as they go through life. And so I'm just curious, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, guessing that people kind of took ownership of some of those chapters in there and that there's some, lessons to be learned or some, some specific things like, you know, contextually that we should be aware of, uh, you know, from those that, that teach like, Hey, here's some things to be thinking about. What are some big lessons that we can share? I don't know whoever wants to go first on that one. I thought, uh, you know, w w w 
one of the things I remember learning in my coursework and 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 and, and often uh, talking about is we, we talk about all these all these uh, problems that face you the you know, ADHD substance use um, and I had a public health professor who said something very interesting one time he said the biggest problem facing youth is antisocial behavior uh, because it's so broadly defined mm. you know it includes uh, substance use and addiction but it also includes you know gang involvement but it also includes petty crimes uh, it also includes running away um, and you know running away is you know of course it's a scary thing um, but it's also a coping mechanism. Mm. Some, sometimes you're running away from something dangerous. Um, and, and, and so I, I just think that, you know, that, that there's some very interesting, you know, combined approaches. You know, when we talk about antisocial behavior and addiction, you know, we often look at addiction, you know, and rightfully so as a disease. Um, why, why combine it with antisocial behavior? Um, you know, because we often lose sight of the fact that this is a disease and we, and, and we focus on, well, what's the kid doing, you know? Um, and is the kid using drugs to mask problems like depression or trauma, or is the kid actively seeking drugs to be, you know, you know, to, to fit in with us, with, 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 uh, with a social group or a peer group. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, and, and that, you know, of course that ties into sexually acting out, that ties into bullying and violence. You know, we have this, you know, and it's all separate chapters, but they all really get tied together under this, this huge theme that, that tend to alert the public. And, and I think, um, you know, particularly the area of, of stress, depression, suicide, that whole chapter is about internalized problems. Mm. Whereas the other chapters tend to focus on externalized problems. It's really easy to see a kid who's acting out. It's right. much harder to recognize a kid who's depressed and suicidal. Exactly. Uh, I definitely agree, Rick. Um, you know, we know that children referred through the school system or law enforcement system tend to be referred with behavior issues, right? That's that's the sticker <laughs> that I think society likes to, to place on um, some of these issues with children and what they're dealing with. But it's important for us to look like chapters five through 10 dive into what influences that behavior, right? Mm -hmm. So we know for this behavior concern or a behavior issue, but what's behind that? And I really like that those chapters dive right into some of these issues um, that definitely influence and impact youth and their behavior. Um, so going back to the chapter on stress, depression, and suicide, um, there's a lot of things that I talk about in that chapter, but, you know, it's where we talk about hey, this adolescent may be going through a stressful time in their life. Um, teenage years are really difficult and they're going through all sorts of transitions and lots of changes happening. 
And that's a part of that like normal growing up pains. But what happens when a teenager may not have a strong support system or if they're getting bullied or maybe a mental health issue uh, they are struggling with? And that's when that norm stress or that typical stress may lead to bigger issues such as depression um, and perhaps suicide and how those things not only impact the adolescent themselves, but it also picks um, impacts their family, and it also impacts society as a whole. And so we talk about a lot of those things in that chapter, and it introduces the reader to what um, those things may look like. So I think the lesson that I learned writing that is going back to that advocacy piece. There's still this huge stigma in mental health, and even more so in suicidality. And so how do we advocate to lessen the stigma for mental health issues and suicide so some of that cycle can be broken? Amanda, do you have any big lessons to take away from any of those chapters? Um, so I wrote um, the chapter on... Um, intervening in the schools. And so I think, you know, for me, the big takeaways and, and a large part of the discussion was, um, you know, especially post-COVID and, you know, our children are in crisis and they are very much in need of mental health services and support. And so one of the, uh, when I was researching for the chapter, one of the big things that jumped out to me was, you know, almost 75% of kids that receive mental health services, guess when they get those services? between eight and three when they're at school. Mm. So they're getting served, they're getting those mental health services while they are at school. And so recognizing um, the the school's role in providing mental health support. And I, I think uh, since COVID, I think we're getting better. The con we're having more conversations around that. Funding has increased for that, but there's still resistance and there's still struggle for recognition of that need. And there's also, we're still struggling with how do we meet that need and what does that look like? Um, and how do we provide those services during the school day? And um, so that was a large part of that conversation um, and discussion in that chapter. And I still don't think we're where we need to be. We still have a lot of um room for research and development and how to best provide services um, through the school system with collaboration, um, with providing referrals, with, um, with supportive and wraparound services, connecting through K-12, um, bringing those services in, but also providing um, services outside of the school day as well. So a, a, a large part of that chapter really discusses kind of where we've been, where we are, and also opportunity for growth and development in meeting students' needs. Awesome. This is good stuff. So uh, I want to honor your time. I have a couple of kind of wrap-up questions for us, but thinking about the book, what final message uh, do, you, do each of you uh, want to share to those engaging with youth on a regular basis. So this could be parents, this could be teachers, this could be administrators, like, you know, those that are seeking to teach better, those are the audience of Amazon Planet, but like, what final message do you have for them? Final message. Um, so 
I think about relational aspects, honestly, when I think about teaching, counseling, pretty much everything in life, Mm -hmm. um, learning to really slow down and learn about your students or your clients or your children and appreciate them for where they are developmentally, I think is important instead of trying to fit them in this mold of, again, going back to that mold of being normal. And so what's so cool about working with humans is that you can learn from each other. And so they, they have a possibility of teaching us just as much as we teach them. And so I think being open to that process is really important. Thank you. You know, we talked a little bit about at the beginning about how easy it is to identify, you know, what's not normal than what is normal. Um, and we just ran through uh, uh, a lot of the problems that, that that face youth and highlighted some of those issues. But the way the book ends Uh, I think is really important. Our our last two chapters have a major emphasis on strength-based approaches and protective factors that we've talked a lot about already. What are the risk factors and and what are, you know, risks that, you know, problems, but remembering to focus on uh, what, what students have that are strengths, you know, Um, you know, how do they cope? Are they good problem solvers? Um, you know, do they have the ability to make good friends? Um, are they willing to be mentored? Can they set long range goals? Um, are, is there extended family support? Um, you know, and, and so, um, instead of looking at, you know, lack of behavioral, con- you know, lack of behavioral control, lack of self-regulation, aggressiveness, anxiety, and, and depression, we might want to take time to look at, you know, some of the pro-social skills and abilities our our kids have and be able to build off of those strengths as opposed to always being so problem-focused. Um, and that's a, 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 a very big emphasis. I think that, you know, as as educators know, it's so much easier to teach to a child's strengths than it is to, uh, you know, try and build uh, a pre-established weakness or challenge. And uh, and a lot of times we can can teach kids to overcome those challenges by using a strength-based approach and focusing on those protective factors and things that they have going for them, you know. Sometimes kids come into school really distressed, but you know what? They're here. They got to school. That's something. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think for me, coming from a school counseling perspective, um, my first job as a high school counselor, I was one counselor to 1,009 students. That was my caseload. (laughs) And so uh, for any other school counselors out there that might find themselves in a similar uh, position, um, you know, when you're, when you're, Working with youth and adolescents, a lot of times we're um, under-resourced, um, where our caseloads are large, it can be overwhelming, it can be stressful, um, we have a large, you know, we have a high per- percentage of burnout. Um, so we have to think differently about what we can do. As a school counselor of one to a thousand and nine students, um, there was only one of me, and I physically could only do so much, but I started to 
rethink and reimagine my community. And that's what I had to think about myself as I was there to serve as an advocate and to represent not only my school, but also the resources that were available in my community. And kind of like Dr. Schmidt said, that relational component, um, building relationships within your school, within your school district, within your community to support and serve the needs of your students. And if we can do that, and that's not a, something that just happens overnight, that's a process, that's a mindset, that's a building um, of services. And But if you can begin there, if you can shape your work in that way, you can build a system um, that better meets the needs of your students, even when we're underserviced, even when we're understaffed, even when we're under-resourced. If you can approach it that way, I believe that you are much more likely to be successful. So for me, this book, um, this approach, it's a mindset. It's a way of operating. It's a, it's a way of functioning. It's a way of serving our students, our youth, our adolescents. And um, I believe in it. I've seen it. Um, that's how I try to train my students. And so um, I believe that if we can operate from this approach, um, we're, we're going to be more successful as a professional, but we're also going to be more successful in serving our students. Awesome. How about you, Samantha? Any final message? Uh, just two, but I think um, very similar to Erica's perspective when it comes to teaching better, um, you know, that relational aspect, remembering to meet students where they are, the culture of education, and even, even when it comes to higher education, right, it just looks very different now than it did 10 years ago, and definitely much different than 20 years and beyond, right? So we student interaction and participation is very different. The whole student experience has evolved significantly. So I think it's key that we find a way to both relate and to deliver information in the classroom in a way that captures student attention, but will also promote trust and interaction and discussion. Um, so there, I mean, I guess that's my last thought when it comes to teaching better. But one thing I did not get to touch on and I'd like to share with our listeners um, is on chapter five, so immigrant and refugee youth. So I think depending on one's geographic location or personal experiences, you may or may not be aware of this, but we have a population of youth in the United States that is current, currently being sponsored, right? They're seeking asylum here. And that comes with a whole subset of, of issues, right? There's cultural differences, um, grief and separation from one's caregiver that is very well likely still in home country, right? Parenting, um, pregnant youth, there's just, there's, there's a lot. So I really invite our listeners, especially if you don't have much knowledge or experience, even knowing that that was occurring in our country, um, to take a good read at chapter five and, and learn what what these children are dealing with because they are enrolled in our public school systems. And I think it's really important to know um, their background and kind of what's affecting them and what might be on their minds. Well, and as the message that we are hearing uh, is that schools are the place where services are going to be available. So like, it's a, it's a big, it's a big deal. Definitely. Um, given we're all, uh, 
work some aspect of of being a, a teacher. I'm just curious, this is a kind of a bonus question, like anything lately that you've used to to help you teach better? I know we mentioned some things with a final message on some some things that, you know, from the book that we were thinking about, but also too, anything that pops up that, hey, this is something I've been doing lately that helps me to teach better? Any uh, Anything out there to be doing lately? So I thought there was something out here. Um, in counseling, we have a lot of research on the working alliance, the, the what happens between the client and the counselor, and that there's a lot of elements that you have no control over in when, when a client comes into counseling. But one thing that you do have some control over is the, the therapeutic rapport that you build. And um, you know, and I think that that idea. Um, extends so well to the classroom. One of the things I do with my students, and I teach master's and doctoral students, I ask them every every, every semester, um, think about your favorite teacher. And uh, what, what qualities do they have? And we go around the room and pick up some of the qualities. And, you know, I often hear about sense of humor or passion or caring that, that they cared, um, you know, what I don't hear, I don't hear, well, they wrote the objectives on the board <laughs> or, um, you know, the multiple cho- cho- the multiple choice tests were were really fair or I really enjoyed the, the homework assignments. Nothing pedagogical is ever mentioned. It's all relational. You know, that a child's favorite teacher usually will have something to do with the relationship they have with that yeah. teacher. Mm-hmm. Great. And yeah, I've, heard that exercise, I've heard that exercise that people have talked about it, Rick. So yeah, Erica, sorry, interrupted you. Yeah. Um, I've actually used that exercise too. And I don't know if I could say it any better, but you know, what I appreciate about counseling and teaching is that we have the opportunity um, to have a shared space with our students or with our clients, you know, in which we can, cultivate that working relationship with them. And again, going back to, we can learn from each other. This isn't a us versus them. This isn't a, you know, a power struggle. We really have the potential to to develop a good relationship with our students. And honestly, from the pandemic, really, I've, I've learned to slow down and really view students, colleagues, other humans as people who have lives and issues outside of academia. Um, I have many, many students who are just going through some real life stuff in the past few years. And so I think focusing in on what makes us human helps students develop in a healthy way. Thank you. All right. Um, so we're going to put uh, show notes uh, in the, uh, or so show notes, we'll have a link to the book um, people are going to access. So we'll, uh, we'll have that there. We'll also have any, uh, any other links and whatnot, but I, I'm curious if there's anything else to promote. Sometimes, uh, you know, people have, are doing all sorts of different stuff and they have other uh, opportunities or learning or like other uh, publications. We'll obviously uh, link to the other podcast I had with Rick that we can put with the, uh, regards to the his other book, Practicing Forgiveness. But anything else to promote? 
Anybody else got anything going on? I mean, Articles. we just wrote a book. We're exhausted. I know. <laughs> 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 that was intense. Yeah. Fair <laughs> Well, it's, it seems like it's been a, a I mean, a, a great collaboration. And again, after having the, you know, the conversation, seeing how your all as your expertise and experiences has, has fit together. And then also too, you know, Rick, initially with your describing your, your intent for wanting the book, but then also saying like, Hey, but I, I'm not up to date. You know, that there's that humility there. Like that we kind of talked about here. It was like, Hey, this, is, this is, it's going to take a family and it's going to take a team in order to, to do this well. And then similarly, that's kind of the message you're sending with the book. So uh, I appreciate that. And uh, like a, one of the books that I like uh, is um, titles that we're smarter together. And so I think uh, we're definitely, we're definitely there. One of the things that's really cool about this book is that I think it does have a broad audience appeal. It's for people who are, you know, are teaching in the field of counseling and teaching a, a child adolescent counseling class, but it's also for people who are just curious about the topics. Mm. Um, because one of the strengths of this, of this text is that, it's got a boots on the ground kind of feel to it. We've all mm-hmm. done this or yeah. we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that to me is the coolest part. Sometimes you run across books and I'm sure it's an education. It's certainly in my field where the people are so far removed from ever practicing and, you know, you know and, and aren't and it's and it's such a conceptual theoretical idea of here's how you do this. Right. Uh, whereas. Um, no, no, this is this is fairly recent. These are uh, the research is up to date. Um, you know, when you're you know, if, if, if you're concerned about youth suicide, read the suicide chapter, because we have up to date research on what are the risk factors? What are the protective factors? What are the interventions? And uh, I just think that's just so important for uh, not just mental health professionals, but for educators and anybody working with youth to be aware of. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you. All. I mean, and also too, I'll just say thank you for, from the listeners, like it does take a risk to like, again, put all this together and put it out into the world and then share it. I mean, I, you think about a book and the value of it, it like how little it, it, it costs to actually get all the expertise and all the experience that you put into it. So thank you for putting that out into the world. And so, and also thank you for your time today. So appreciate y'all. Thanks for having us today. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This was great. Okay. It's kind of cool listening to these conversations, you know, and having a chance to reflect on them before posting the episodes and thinking about the things that kind of echoed across episodes of Amazon Planet. Just the, just this idea, you know, just one example is the idea of relationships, the importance of relationships. Over and over again, I think about the importance of relationships, and they're talking about with the importance of it with regards to counseling youth, but then thinking about it from my own perspective of being a teacher and getting that first idea about how to set up my classroom and more and more was about how do I facilitate relationships not only between myself and my students but also between students between the students right and seeing that as a way of facilitating learning right helping facilitate not only helping them facilitate relationships with each other I saw that as like laying down conduit for um for helping deliver understanding of content. And so same thing here with regards to thinking about counseling youth, like how are we developing relationships not only between um, you know, the student and or the, the 
the youth and a service provider, but between service providers in order to, again, provide the best experience for that youth. And so, man, just we're kind of hardwired for relationships. And more and more as I'm in a summer camp situation right now, a family camp up in Okaboji, Iowa. If you're looking for uh, another podcast episode, you can look at my conversation with Dan Antoine and and think about the importance of uh, of family camp to myself and my family. Um, Anyway, uh, and just echoing this idea of relationships and how we've seen it (laughs) throughout history. People keep pointing back into this importance and even thinking about our our current world, uh, the importance of relationships. And building relationships, building understanding with each other. And we see like how much harm can happen when we don't develop that understanding. We we don't develop that humanity when we don't speak into each other's lives. So just a little, a little extra bonus learning that I have in as a thinking about this episode and thinking about the lessons learned. So anyway, if you want to check out, um, other episodes that, uh, kind of related to this one, maybe the, Think Camp One, where I talked to Dan Antoine, or we talking about the other episode with uh, Rick Balkin, where we talked about his book Practicing Forgiveness. We'll put the links to those episodes in the show notes. Um, if you're looking for ways to support Amazon Planet, which we, you know, man, we love the support. I'm starting to hear it's cool to hear like people hearing about episodes from people that know me but don't, but I don't necessarily know the person that was talking to them about the episode. It's kind of like this six degrees sort of situation, though I'm not Kevin Bacon. But that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. And that's, again, why you know, I want to put a, share these episodes and share this content is I'm learning stuff from it, and hopefully others can learn from it. And it's not necessarily those that I have a direct relationship with. So those of you out there, uh, appreciate it. But if you want to have some interactions, you can also use the mailbag. You can go to um, joel at amadonplanet.com and send a question, comment, suggestion, Whatever, we're kind of building some other episodes based off of those suggestions. So, again, we appreciate those. Um, So, yeah, go ahead and do that. Again, joel at amadonplanet.com. Questions, comments, suggestions. We love uh, any sort of entry into the mailbag. And, again, we have some episodes coming up that are built off of those suggestions. So, again, appreciate that. Um, If you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate, and review. That's to help others that are looking for similar content uh, find it. So, again, anytime you do that, that's that's. Again, greatly appreciated wherever you get your podcast to do that. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, also, you can uh, you can find us on socials or find me on socials at Amazon Planet on Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook. You can also subscribe to the Amazon Planet uh, download, which is if you go to AmazonPlanet.com, anywhere where you see the email, join the email list, you can hit that. Periodically, I'll send out some things where I think could be helpful to those learning how to wanting to learn how to teach better and also get some updates on what's going on around Amazon planet. And then, yeah. So yeah, that's it. That's this episode. We're kind of laid back a little bit. Summer, summer episode. So anyway, finally, uh, thank you so much for spending some time on Amazon planet. Thank you to Rick, Amanda, Erica, and Samantha for spending some time and sharing their, sharing their expertise, uh, not only through the book, but through the, their time in this episode. Uh, Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there for learning to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.